0: Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Hey, well, we had to do that twice, Peter, because the first one time I did it, it was way too loud, and it was just like cranking. <laughs> so I thought, we got to do that over, man. That was way too loud, you know. Um, I I always got to give props out to, uh, to the band that we play. Um, during these podcasts because they are a fun band indeed i was just listening to their their new their new stuff check this out this is their new album nice it's called homie Anyway, that's some of it. Nice, man. Yeah, so we got to thank Chon for all their hard work in the studio of Music World. Yeah. You know, it's very cool. Anyway, it's good seeing you, Peter. It's good being with you. It's good to be back. On the show. I'm glad we get to chat. We uh, have to actually, on this podcast, kind of review kind of what we did a month ago. (laughs) (laughs) But um, uh, it's going to be well worth it. I'm sure we'll touch on other stuff. So this this podcast deals with... um, uh, sex and the Bible, and sexuality and sensuality, and we kind of like to talk about all kinds of topics regarding um, the subject of intimacy and how it relates to us as Christians and those that um, want to follow the Bible, and which is quite an interesting book mm. when it comes to this. I mean, last night we read some passages in the book of Leviticus chapter 19 that brought up some interesting thoughts in my mind anyway, mm. and um, stuff that you always struggle with when you read the Bible. There's always these things that you read and you kind of go, mm, that doesn't sound too cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah. And, um, and so uh, we try to work through it, that's for sure. Um, so that's a lot what this podcast is about. Um, what's new, Peter, with you? What's, how's the group going? going great man yep group. Yeah, Peter heads school. up a men's group and it's going pretty good yeah it's going awesome you're getting your book published yeah getting the book published next
1: month I think is what Susan said which is amazing and such a such an incredible answer to prayer I'm thankful it's happening man
0: <laughs> yeah it's uh called sin or it's that's not the title of the Oh, the book.
1: No, it's, it's going to be called... Uh, That's the topic of the book. That is the topic, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to be called Rooted in Sin and Rescued by Love, right? And it's going to be all about um, our natures as, as sinners and how God changes us throughout our lives. So, um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. It will be on our site for free when mm-hmm. it's done. And then uh, if you guys want to buy it, I think it's going to be on Amazon or something like that mm-hmm. if you want like a cool cover and all that. <laughs>
0: That's cool. I, um, have been reading a couple books. I read, um, the first one was by this lady. I'll bring it over here. Um, her name's Peggy Orstein. And, uh, this is kind of more in the sex education realm of life. Um, we have friends here that go into the schools and, and really try to advocate for a Christian kind of worldview of sex education. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, Peggy Orstein uh, is also kind of a sex educator and an author of many books on this topic. Um, I actually read a book not long ago by her, and it was called Girls and Sex, and it. Basically, this book says um, a generation gap has emerged between parents and their girls. Even in this age of helicopter parenting, the mothers and fathers of tomorrow's women have little idea what their daughters are up to sexually or how they feel about it. Drawing on in-depth interviews with nearly 100 young women and a wide range of psychologists, um, academics, and experts, renowned journalist Peggy Orstein goes where all most others fear to tread, pulling back the curtain on the hidden truths, hard lessons, and important possibilities of girls' sex life in the modern world. Um, so she talks a little bit about um, kind of the issues with women as opposed to men. She talks a lot about the kind of misogyny c- culture, you know, uh, that affects young girls in school and pressures on them to perform sexually and things like that. Um uh sh- it's kind of interesting. She interviews a lot of different girls and how girls get their perceptions of sex or things like that. So she talks a lot about media and um but the cool thing is is my daughter Peggy went to go see my daughter's school um in uh in California and that's where our daughter goes to high school and and so they bring in these pretty popular people to discuss these topics. Yeah. And it was so cool because she calls me and she's like, Dad, I was, she was really upset. <laughs> she, yeah. Yeah. She was really frustrated. And I haven't seen her kind of have, you know, that much kind of spit and vinegar, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but she was just like, like telling me all about kind of issues. And her main uh, beef with what Peggy was saying was that she felt uh, Peggy was very biased towards women that, that she didn't, um, see things from guys' perspectives and, and she put guys in a, in a box and, and kind of, you know, put up the straw man and then just whacked it, you know, in, in her argument. So she kind of saw that straw man fallacy going on, um, you know, through the whole lecture and it just bothered her because she has friends that are guys and, and and the same thing she was saying about girls, uh, my daughter thought related also to the guys that she knows as well, that it, it's not just uh, it wasn't so clear cut of a you know female issue, mm. um, you know, but it also is a male issue, too. So um, I read the whole books. Uh, my daughter came back to hang out with us in Tucson for a little bit like a month ago. And she said she she had to do some curricular reading. She wanted to pick up her book. And I said, oh, that's awesome. You know. So while she was down here, I said, hey, can I can I read some of it too? And she goes, yeah. And I ended up reading all of it. It was like 300 pages. <laughs> and I, I just like piled through it. And it was really fascinating. I mean, all the interviews with these different girls. Um, she interviews educators who, who go in and talk about, you know, I mean, just everything about sex. I mean, really just go into schools and, um, I mean, and how they teach five-year-olds and, and why they do that and um, why there's a frustration with the uh, abstinence-only kind of education hmm. um, uh, globally, hmm. you know. And, um, and how she really brought up, I thought, some cool stats too for, for, I don't know if, you know, stats you never know if they're right or wrong or <laughs> what. But everybody's <laughs> always bringing up statistics. But it was, um, it was kind of interesting because she was trying to make a point that abstinence-only education doesn't work. And so she was bringing up uh, Christians and um, growing up, And uh, what it, uh, how long abstinence only education has delayed sex, and I think it came down to like nine months, (gasps) you know, it's a big deal, man. (laughs) So it was like, it was was really funny, like, you know, kind of when you read it, you're like, you know, she's making these points of like, hey, you know, I mean, okay, you don't want us to teach people how to put condoms on a banana or you know, these type of things, you don't want us to do these things as Christians, you don't want us to talk about about anal sex or talk about these different things but you got to understand that we're we're only delaying the inevitable meaning even the christian people are having sex right and so it, it kind of like that anyway but i thought it was pretty cool you know and it's stuff that you've talked about too a lot with i mean we have on the podcast before but it, it's kind of a big issue cuz parents you know they they a lot of times don't know what to say right, right? yeah and so they um
1: is mine
0: on? Yeah, you're I think your mic's on. You're just low. Say say something though. Check. Yeah. I, okay. I, I think <laughs> you are, but you're just you're just you're just quiet, man.
1: <laughs> I mean I don't feel like I'm being like more quiet
0: than normal or something. You are. Something's <laughs> wrong with you, Peter. I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. I got you up, man. That's weird. I got you turned up. So All right.
1: Oh, oh, whoa. There goes.
0: You are cranking now. So, okay. I think, I think we had, <laughs> you, we got you going. Okay, cool. Yeah. So anyway, and then the other person I'm reading is this girl named Wednesday, Wednesday Martin. That's obviously like a pen name. Yeah. Right.
1: Well, it could be a real name. I don't know. <laughs> Did you
0: put your name? Did you get a pen name?
1: Uh, I guess I should have.
0: Yeah. Um. Uh, Wednesday Martin. And, it, and she wrote a book called um, Untrue. This book's Pretty radical, dude. Now her background is that she is a Anthropologist, I think. Oh, cool. Yeah, so she has studied anthropology um, Let's see. Yeah, she studied anthropology received a doctorate in comparative literature and cultural studies from Yale um, So she does work in psychoanalysis and anthropology and she wrote a book called untrue and I and what struck me about this book was it's it says this the subtitle why nearly everything we believe about women lust and oh I can't even read that that's <laughs> uh, too small um here we go women lust and adultery is wrong and how the new science can set us free <laughs> I thought wow that that sounds so biblical <laughs> <laughs> it
1: does <laughs>
0: it's like a biblical. Proportion statement, man. It's just so cool, huh? Like, you'll set, set you free. <laughs> this is going to work. Um, but it's really an interesting read, man. I mean, it is really interesting. Um, it's obviously from both books that I read are from more Darwinian perspectives. Um, so that is definitely her, her background, is Darwinian evolution. And so she talks a lot about women's uh, roles and how they've changed over the years in society. And you know what? I'm in a section right now. You know what she's talking about really changed women? What? The plow. All right. I know, <laughs> man. Like the literal agricultural plow. <laughs> and she gets into it, man. She talks about a lot of anthropologists who write on this subject and yeah. um, how women uh, became more domesticated when the plow was invented. And... um and when agriculture started becoming things of to be bought and sold and things of that nature, um, all this stuff contributed to the domestication of women huh. and, uh, and to monogamy and to these, these uh, things that we think are, quote, normal. So what she's doing in the book is she's basically um, saying that, that really if we go back to the way things really were, you know, uh, basically, uh, you know, monogamy and all these things are just are, are just products of, um, you know, economics and uh, kind of social economics. Right. And male domination. Right. Um, within those things. So that's kind of her main drive through through the book. Yeah. You know, very interesting read, though. Um you know that's for sure. So she's trying to help people see something that we've tried to say for I know I've tried to say for the last 15 years uh, but we certainly have knocked it home and that is we've always said lust knows no gender. Right. <laughs> and she's tr- basically trying to get there. Yeah. You know, where she's she's looking into like what they do in New York at at these um like they're quote monogamous people but they uh, they're women but they have these 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 nightclub things that they go to, yeah, and I forgot what they're called, um, but anyway, um,
1: swingers clubs, th- man, <laughs> basic, yeah. basically.
0: But it's just for women, just yeah, and they're monogamous women. And you have, and she interviews. It's interesting, like church women, and who who are in monogamous church relationships, but they are in sexless marriages, right? And so they they have people on the you know whether a guy or girl on the on you know that they they have relationships with affairs with right you know but she would say like the word affairs and the word this these are all constructs right you know of you know whether it's religion or you know um you know the economic world or these type of things have all been put on it
1: right (laughs) right that the normalization i mean it was pretty normal when you read anything in history of people having extramarital relationships Mm -hmm. you know to the point where they just call it like mistresses or whatever and yeah no big deal
0: (laughs) yeah i think her 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 real interesting point is that um that she's going back to you know in in her darwinian thought she's going back to apes of course and bonobos and 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 she's going back to how uh tribal people were um when agriculture wasn't the dominant um like possessive agriculture right like this is my piece of land kind of thing um and how women were act acted sexually and how they acted in the role of the clan that it wasn't so um it wasn't like a monogamous situation right um you know um they could have someone special in their life but they also could have other people and that was okay because it was all part of the clan the community right you know um so, a lot of things are predicated on her, her um, you know, belief in origins and stuff like that.
1: Right. I mean, if you look, it is so interesting. I mean, I, I think, I can't remember this, the statistic. It's I think it's like 3% of mammals are monogamous, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so, you know, obviously, humanity is monogamous. So, the argument that... Um, we ought to be monogamous as humanity is a pretty weak one from the Darwinian perspective. And even like birds, we used to think that birds were so pure and they were monogamous, but now we find out that birds really aren't. <laughs> they have a mate, they have a spouse, but they have sex with um, different birds. Like it's not a big deal for the bird community. And so, yeah, if I'm just arguing from the perspective that, you know, we're just descended from animals and all that, then... Yeah, I mean the 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 concept that we ought to be with just one person and not have sexual relationships with others is kind of unnatural from that perspective. Yeah, it really doesn't.
0: And you know what's us. great about it too? It's like that as, as Christians, I would you know, and I, I I I had to get on Twitter and just and tweet her. Personally, and I just said, Hey, I think I'm I learned like a lot of what you're talking about in high school just through social interaction (laughs) in high school, (laughs) you know, um, meaning, meaning I learned that that gender, uh, that. L- people lust, whether they're girl, boy, whatever you want to call yourself, mm-hmm. y- you know, that lust worked in everybody, yeah. that everybody wanted to have sex, and, yeah. and, 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 and all kinds of things. Some people were quiet about it, some people weren't quiet about it, some people's cultures dictated how they felt towards things, some people were liberal, some people were conservative, and things like that, and, 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 and that kind of thing. But then the other thing that she's trying to drive home, I think uh, I, I learned too, and that is we're all a mess, <laughs> and, and, and that is, there is no, there is no um, way that we just kind of fall into. It's, it's uh, that we all, even if we try to fit into anything, whether wh- even if I want to fit into polyandry or polygamy, or even if I want to fit into swingers lifestyle, or if I want to fit into a open lifestyle, or whatever lifestyle I want to live sexually, no matter what one it is, it's always going to be hard for me to stay conformed to right. that one <laughs> yeah so so she makes kind of a uh, her point becomes almost irrelevant right right yeah because does that make sense yeah yeah so it's like i don't think she's thinking along that line just yet yeah <laughs> you know but that's that's what i i kind of learned that just in high school like yeah. that even if the dude even if guys that i knew just wanted to sleep with girls yeah. um you know, or, you know, it, it never worked right. There was yeah. always something that got tweaked yeah. somewhere <laughs> along the line. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nobody ever was satisfied in whatever um, situation they were in.
1: Yeah. The people can't live up to their own standards, no matter what those standards are. Like no matter, no matter how like far you draw the line, you're like, man, I, I'm i only going to do this. Like no matter where you draw the line, you're going to cross it. Right. There's something in you. And uh, even that woman that, um that, Right, writes those awesome books. Esther Perel, who yeah. talks about marriage a lot. She and, talks and, about that.
0: And uh, uh uh I think it was uh uh Wednesday Martin quoted oh, Esther yeah? Perel.
1: Yeah, Esther Perel is awesome. You know, she's awesome. She's not a Christian. <laughs> right. But man, like her ideas are so fascinating. And you know, she talks about how she studies swingers and how almost all the couples she studies like they cheat. And everyone has like, How do you cheat if you're in a relationship that says cheating you can cheat. And basically, even in a relationship where it's okay to cheat, they still lie about it. Like, they still lie and deceive their partner about who they're having sex with. And uh, she had an awesome quote after that. She said, because it is only when we are doing something that is forbidden that we feel that we are doing what we actually want. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. <laughs> that's
0: yeah. a good quote. So, so you know, Wednesday Martin, I mean, she's doing her best job of of. <laughs> you know letting people know that women um are not uh non-sexual or they not you know they that they're just like men and they ju- they they cheat they they love to do this they love to do that mm-hmm. um um but like I said I I don't think you need an anthropologist to tell you that and 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 I don't even think you really need the the Bible per se to tell you that even though the Bible does tell us that mm-hmm. um, um, so it's kind of interesting if you just read the Bible, you would realize that people do whatever they want to do. Right. And, uh, and there'll
1: and always be, you know, men who aren't going to want to do that and women who aren't going to want to do that, but there'll always be women and men that do want to do that. Right? That's right. <laughs> it's just whatever, whatever your bend is in that particular area.
0: Yeah. And some people, some people w- who don't have a high libido, uh, obviously they're not going to be so concerned about these issues. Right. But you can you can do that with everything. Greed. Uh, some people are going to be so greedy for money they're gonna. It's going to be the the ruling thing in their life. Right. And for other people, it's not. Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, it's a good it's a good read. Um, you know, our counselor Lisa Keller told us the other day. She goes, "Why are you re- why do you read books like this?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I find them, you know, very interesting. Right. And and I don't know if it's just because the nature of ministers is education. Mm. And because uh, in this ministry, we tend to be even more in the education side. Um, and that because uh, we do teach um, about sex, even to non-Christians. Yeah. And so um, it's important for us to understand, I think, these different concepts <laughs> and, and, um, yeah, and man, different I, viewpoints.
1: <laughs> I love it. I find it so fascinating. Um, for, for multiple reasons. I mean, the first reason is because the Bible says that God created nature. You, when you go through Romans, uh, he speaks on that. He speaks on how do Gentiles know God, right? People who have no concept of God from literature, from uh, revelation from God, how do they know him? And Paul's argument is they know him from nature. And so what I get from that is that even if someone doesn't know God, if they study his creation long enough, they'll get to know his creation and they can have a lot of wisdom. So even if I'm studying an atheist, they might have more insight in the areas of sexuality or relationships than a Christian does because simply because they're studying the creation.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. So it doesn't negate what they're saying. But the other thing that I love reading about when I read, uh, when I read people like Esther Perel or whoever else um, is that they, they have these points and like everything that they're saying, I agree agree with and then they get to the conclusion and the conclusion does not follow from the (laughs) argument at all and i'm just like it's so funny because like it's like what this woman's talking about where she's like she's like and then this and then this and and you can't live in the the construct whatever construct you have you're not going to be able to live up to it and then the conclusion is so therefore this is the construct we should live in and it's like how did you get there from here i can't remember what philosopher said this but it just it, it always makes me laugh because he he makes fun of atheist philosophers and he Mm -hmm. says this he says uh um, men have descended from apes therefore let us love one another right (laughs) this is so funny because like what he's he's an atheist and he's just like look like let's not kid ourselves man like if you have a if you have a philosophy that says we've descended from apes there's no way you can get from that philosophy we ought to love one another so just admit that you're borrowing from christians and so it's the same with uh with people who study in sociology and Psychology and relationships and all that stuff is that they they see the state of man, but then they want so desperately to draw altruism out of our just clearly corrupted nature, and it's just you can't do it. But they they have to because it's like what what's the alternative? Yeah, just look at it and just say, hey, Matt, we're all a wreck, and your relationships are always going to be messy.
0: <laughs> you know, I guess like I guess what you can do, uh, a- a- as an as an atheist, is just come up with like. Uh, a better bias construct yeah this is a better bias (laughs) construct based off of less harm right um but all those terms of course harm better are all bringing are all working within this framework of like moral moral ought progress right
1: that's like c.s. Lewis's a mere christianity where he's like whenever someone says better then there has to be a worse and there has to be a best, you know? Like, right. you're, So you're saying that there is an objective standard when you say better. And uh, we just don't want to admit
0: that. We're like, no, it's all relative, you know, and it's all okay. But
1: this is better. <laughs> yeah,
0: like, yeah. So, uh, you know, the first book by Peggy was Sex Education. This one's definitely a book more of uh, of, of social constructs, uh, Wednesday Martin. Both of them are interesting books, that's for sure. I think parents uh can read Peggy orstein's book um if they have um a good backbone you know, and they're not afraid of reading different uh uh um things on sexual behavior and 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 uh and graphic she's a little more graphic i think in there too she because it's sex education some of the things she's talking about are are you know she's talking about porn and she's talking about different things like that how it affects culture and what she thinks about it. And right. you know, so it, it can be raw at times anyway, but we're close to the holidays and, uh, we hope families are doing good. But a lot of the times families aren't doing too good. Hmm. Uh, families are struggling and, um, you know, people are struggling with their sexual stuff and, and marriages aren't doing good. W- you know, a lot of spouses upset at the men and, um, maybe a lot of men are upset at the spouses, you know, yeah. which is unfortunate um you know have uh, any thoughts on that
1: yeah i mean i i don't I don't know what it is, maybe you've seen the same thing, but it actually seems to be during the holidays, things seem to disintegrate faster <laughs> i don't <laughs> i thought I always thought you know like before I became a minister, it would be like the opposite, where you know the times are like not revolving around um like family and community, like Thanksgiving and Christmas would be, you know, the the worst times. But no, it seems to me that like whenever I come up on the holiday season, I'm like, uh-huh. man, like I'm gonna have a lot of counselings yeah. that are gonna be on the ropes, you know, and, yeah. and people What is it about that like, you think? It. I I don't know. I personally when, when I talk to people and I think there's many different reasons, mm-hmm. but I think probably the primary reason is because at The holiday season people evaluate what they think their lives ought to be Mm -hmm. and they when they see the disparity between how they think their life should be and what it is they become very discouraged and kind of hopeless and they start to nitpick at the problems in their life they've been ignoring all year so um you know when you're when you're going through the year and your marriage kind of is not very good your family life is not very good um, you can kind of deal with it as long as it's not really brought to the forefront. But then when you go into a season that is all about family and yeah. it is all about unity and you're watching these Hallmark Christmas movies and you're um, looking at Facebook posts and Christmas cards. and I'm not watching Hallmark. <laughs> no, I <Yeah>. am. I've <laughs> already
0: watched 20. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. 20 shows, man. <laughs> 20 Hallmark Christmas It's gifts. awesome. One of them is like Christmas gift. Next one. Christmas tree. Next one. <laughs> Put up the Christmas tree. Next one. Christmas snow. Next one. White snow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's all the same, man. <laughs> it's just like interchangeable characters, same basic premise and plot. I
0: think Hallmark is the reason why these pe- why people become depressed during Christmas. Because yeah. when you watch Hallmark, man, everybody looks amazing. Yeah. Everybody, like everything's amazing around them. Yeah. There's always so much... Reconciliation towards yeah. the end of the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, and even like if you have a fa- like even if there's a family that's portrayed on there that like has issues, you know, um, I look at it, and I'm like, those aren't real issues, <laughs> you know. It's just like you look at it, it's like, yeah, the the aunt's a bit nutty or whatever, but it's not like the kind of issues that I'm used to dealing with. Um, ev- either in my own family or in the families of the people that I counsel. Um, I mean, the the issues that I deal with are much more severe than just someone being a little bit of a jerk. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, uh, people, w- in my opinion, I think people watch that and they just become very depressed about what their life isn't. And so they mm. seek change. And uh, also, for whatever reason, maybe it is because it's winter and things are colder, I found that more people pass away in the winter season. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't exactly know what to deal with that is. I, it, I, the only thing I can think of is that it's easier for older people to get sick this time of year. And so death is more prevalent. So it's, uh because of that, uh, I, I do believe that there is uh, a lot more uptick in uh, family instability and marital issues and things to that nature during the Christmas season than any other time. So if you're experiencing something like that in your life, you're definitely not alone, but we live in a culture that has perfected Photoshop and, yeah we never know it coming into church everyone is able to put on a good face
0: well you watch like hallmark and you just go man this is awesome like there's yeah. no no one struggles with porn or, yeah. anything. or you know I mean, you know there's nothing like that you know no. there's there's just no discussions like that on Hallmark. It, no. it, it, it's always about you know something really safe like you know someone's gonna move to New York because of work yeah and, and like that's the that's, that's the, the big that's the big deal that's the know? big deal or or it was something like they knew each other Back when they were in high school, and they had a fling, <laughs> and, it, and they broke up, <laughs> and now, and, and now they're now because their lives—they've been married and divorced, and now they feel like they're never gonna get things back together. And now it does; they meet each other, and they come back together, and they—you know—that kind that of kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. Well, there's some scriptures that have been popping in my mind too. Um, uh, you know, this Christmas time. And one of them is love thy enemies. You love your enemies. And, and that scripture, I think, keeps popping out to me. It seems like in my counseling times, because it seems like it's a very difficult thing for a lot of people to do. Yeah. Um, well, it's an
1: impossible thing.
0: Yeah, it is an impossible thing. Um, but there's a way for us to, to do it. Right. Uh, or to get there right yeah. <laughs> Um
1: possible in ourselves right
0: yeah there there is a there is a mental uh renewing that we can definitely apply that will help us um and it's hard to love people who have used you and and who have um done things to you or that have offended you um and yet yet the scripture tells us to forgive such people mm-hmm. and 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 it seems like more and more in the Christian or in our in our world, it's tougher. It's like Christians are struggling with trusting God with the other person. Mm. Um, I don't know if you see that, but but I see that so much where it seems like that they just they can't get their eyes off that person and and they're so wrapped up in that person and it's making them more angry and more bitter and just cunning you know, and 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 they're they're so hurt they can't focus, get out of that where they where they, you know, because the Bible's so radically weird in that it says things like consider it all joy when you go through various trials, right? Yeah. Uh, knowing that testing of your faith produces all these character qualities, and and in that same chapter it says you know endure temptation, you know, because there's this crown of righteousness, there's this like forward thing that we're to be looking forward to meaning our we our mind is supposed to be on something else it's supposed to be on something different um and it seems like that is that has been um that wall has been knocked down and that wall of trusting god has been kind of broken hmm. and um and that kind of bums me out of course because um, you can't make people you know uh look to god and 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 trust him you know with with other people um and it seems harder in marriages as ever for people just to kind of disconnect you know um um i don't know if you see that too yeah
1: yeah i mean it's a it's a it's a measure of faith there's a measure of faith to trust god in your own life and it definitely takes a higher measure of faith to trust god in someone else's life you know um yeah especially when you're an invested in them uh so it's uh, it's only natural for for me or for anyone else to, to look at the people in our lives that we care about and to try to help them, to try to fix them. And it is really, really difficult to come to that place of realization that you really can't help them. Um, there, there are a lot of Proverbs that speak on this. Um, some of my favorites, I can't remember the numbers, but in, in the Proverbs it says, um, a man does not share in another's grief. And how can they really connect and joy? And so there's this, this idea that you really are disconnected from other people's emotions and, and where they're at. And then the, the, the very next chapter, it says, uh, a man's steps are of God, so how can you direct his own path? So the proverb is getting even deeper and saying, not only can you not really understand or help other people, but you actually can't even understand yourself mm. <laughs> or help yourself. Like, that's how lost we are. And so it's, uh, it's that recognition Of how much of uh, how much in need of God I am in my own life that enables me to see that if I can't even help myself, then I certainly can't help this person without the power of God. Mm -hmm. You know, God could use me in that person's life, but certainly nothing I'm going to say or do is that going to make the difference. It's got to be something that God does, and um, that is the source of so much of our frustration. With the people around us, because we can 't understand uh, why they aren 't listening and why they aren 't changing and and it does when you when you make yourself the savior of someone else um, of course it's going to make you feel frustrated and bitter because in, in essence you you do come back to the idea that when you 're giving them advice and when you 're trying to help them and they don 't change that makes you a failure yeah and it's it's hard for uh, at that moment to be able to To own that. A lot of people, some people own it and they're just like, gosh, I am a failure. I'm the worst husband. I'm the worst father. I'm, you know, and they just beat up on themselves and they slip into depression. Mm. Most people turn that frustration on the person that they're trying to help. So they're trying to help somebody. And when that person isn't changing, then they grow to actually hate that person because Mm. they're not changing. Because they don't want to consider themselves a failure. Or they blame other people in that person's life. And either way, it's not good. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah. So much. So many things, so much fear and, and control and anger and resentment, you know, prevent people too from just, you know, like you say, if they're not working on them, if you're not working on you, then all I have is you to work on, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, and um, that kind of thing. I think of uh, Romans chapter 12 too, let love be without hypocrisy. Mm. Um And then it says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Mm. Sometimes I think in marriages, we we have to get down to a basic level. Um, Like, uh, because of the construct of uh, monogamous marriage anyway, um, which is all I know, um, sometimes we think of our spouse as something different from a friend. Right. Uh, where this scripture says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, I don't think people in marriage think of one another as like brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. Just simply at that point. Right. Like, and, and it's funny because when I think of how I would treat someone who's just a brother and sister in, in Christ or just a, a person, you know, down the road, when I think of how they treat, what, how I would treat them, sometimes it, I, I look at would I treat my wife that way? And then, you know, and I, I find there's this little bit of discrepancy. Right. And I have to figure out why there's a discrepancy like that. You know, like, why why do I for, forgive my kid? And why would I not forgive my spouse? Right. Um, you know, so it's amazing. It's like, it, it, it's weird how we kind of do that. Is it because of the age differences of our kid and our spouse? Is it because of the covenant that made with my, my, uh, and we've talked a lot about the covenant in marriage that that's not uh, when you make a covenant, it's not that you're saying I'm not going to do these things. It's not (laughs) just you're saying, I'm never going to do this. What you're saying is that um, I need to make this covenant because I do break these things, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And, um, and, um, and we hope to not, we hope that everybody at the marriage um, ceremony will help us (laughs) to to hold fast to these covenant vows. But we know in our nature, it's impossible. Um, so we need all the help we can get um but yeah i find that that it is interesting that that couples spouses just can't look at each other in that just cool brotherly love just sisterly love right you know like yeah. hey they 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 struggle with something yeah. or hey you know i i love them you know yeah. how can i help them
1: yeah and it all comes down to expectations
0: mm-hmm.
1: right so i mean in in group i always Ask the men that, and I ask myself this as well. Like, why is it that we're harder on our spouse than anyone else? You know, why is it that I'm more nitpicky about my spouse than anyone else? You know, I could, you know, if you have kids, you see far more wicked behavior coming out of them than you're going to see in your spouse. And they're far more of a drain on your life than your spouse. And yet, um, forgiving them and taking care of them and helping them seems to come more natural than helping your spouse. And uh, really what it comes down to is expectations. You don't expect your kid to be able to act in this way. And so you don't treat them that way. Um, but you do expect your spouse to act that way. Yeah. And that's that's the danger because when you say expect, when you have an expectation, you've essentially turned your partner into an employee. Right, The only person that has the right to have expectations is a master and a slave, right? A master has expectations of his slave because they work for him.
0: Yeah, and you should read, I just got done reading a little book on Frederick Douglass. Wow. Oh. And that will tell you about the role of a slave and a master. <laughs>
1: right. And even Jesus makes that point where um, he's making the point of why isn't there joy or rejoicing in people's relationship with God. And he says, how many of you who have a slave and you come home and they do everything that you ask them to do is going to be like, man, slave, you're awesome. You know, you're, you're so great. You know, how do I bless you? Um, And Jesus' point is, even though your slave has done backbreaking labor for you, the reason why you don't thank him is because you expected them to do it. he says, so when you come before God, he says, just say that we're unworthy servants. And Jesus is obviously, he hasn't died yet or risen again yet, so there isn't that adoption that we have in the new covenant. And that was the way that the old covenant operated. You were a, a servant. You were a slave before God. You weren't adopted as a son. Um, you had to do those things, or else God would punish you in the old covenant and um, the sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> the the difference obviously when you look at a, a spouse or anyone that 's in your life is that when you put expectations on them, when they do what you expect of them, you can 't be happy about it you can only be disappointed when they don 't Right. So if I have an expectation of how my wife ought to act and she doesn't act that way, I'll be disappointed. But even if she does fulfill my expectation at best, I'm just going to be neutral. Right. So if I expect my wife to cook me dinner tonight um, or to clean the house or something like that, and I come home and the house is clean and dinner is waiting for me, I'm not going to say thank you uh, because that's what I want. That's what I expected. But if it's not, you know, then I have a right in my heart to be angry at her mm-hmm. for not upholding her end of the bargain.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is not a fun place to live. We got to go right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, it was good to at least do a little bit of a podcast to touch <laughs> base with people. Um, we'll try to do one as quick, quicker than, you know, right. not um, to get back in it. Because we do want to talk a little bit about um, how scaring someone into uh, freedom hmm. Um. Uh, from sexual immorality probably isn't the way to go right so we're gonna touch base on um next next week or something about that okay yeah. okay check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series take flight and love or lust you can also send us questions on twitter at RunningLight light or on our runninglight.org podcast page like us on facebook at running light ministries psalm 36 8 they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures